Today on Blue 58 with free agency just about ready to officially begin but really underway already, the Packers have made some moves to retain a couple of their own players. Was keeping Aaron Jones a good idea? And will Preston Smith be able to cash in on any of his incentives? And what will the Packers do to continue to try to make some space? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, very happy to be with you here for another episode. And what a lot has happened since we were last together. So we were still waiting on some things to get cooking as far as free agency goes when we last spoke. And since then, things have gotten cooking in a big way. The Packers have made a flurry of moves as the league year is about to begin. And with it, free agency for real. Right now, we're still in the heavy air quotes, legal tampering period. If it's tampering, it's not legal, and if it's legal, it's not tampering, but I think you understand why they call it that. Basically, the negotiation period before the league year really starts. The Packers have hammered out a bunch of moves here, and we're coming right down to the wire on a couple of predictions I've made as well. And really, the theme of this period of the calendar lately has been basically making my predictions sheet Well, there's some red on the sheet. Let's put it that way. Let's talk through some of those moves and exactly what they mean in terms of of how they'll affect the the Packers. The first and and biggest one right off the bat was that the Packers redid Preston Smith's contract. This was a big, big surprise. Uh, Not that they reworked it, but I guess the the way that it actually worked out. It seems like this is a rare, true win-win. You see a lot of fans and people who watch their teams asking for these kinds of deals, and they are so rare that they actually happen. The incentive-laden deal where guys get a real chance to make a lot of money, but don't count that much against the cap. We won't get into the actual official numbers because it really doesn't matter, but basically it's going to cost the Packers about the same amount it would to keep Preston Smith this year that it would have to cut him. So he's only going to count officially against the cap this year about what his dead money would have been had they just cut him outright. And I think that's just fine. Preston Smith isn't a terrible player. Even in in 2020, he got some heat because he wasn't as good as he was in 2019, which, okay, that's fair, but that was kind of a career year for him too. You expect him to be a little bit better than he was, probably significantly better than he was given the amount he was getting paid. But now he's got all the incentive in the world uh, to actually put up the numbers that are expected of him. And now the Packers have at least three solid edge rushers of varying skill sets and talent levels, but still three pretty solid ones. It's better than 2018 when Kyler Fackrell was legitimately considered a a real threat on the edge. Boy, don't miss those days. Um, But here we are uh, with the Packers now with their, their three core guys back again. Zedaria Smith, Preston Smith, and Rashawn Gary. Smith's deal hinges largely on incentives, and we got a good question from Patrick via Discord about how that exactly works. He says, related to the Preston Smith restructure, how do incentive payments hit the cap? If he gets 14 sacks and hits the max $4 million signing bonus, give or take, do those incentive payments all get applied to 2022? The answer is, it depends. Here's what it depends on. And this is from the excellent website, Russell Street Report. 
uh, written by a camp expert who follows the Baltimore Ravens. But it basically boils down to likely to be earned incentives and not likely to be earned incentives. So I'm going to read a bit here, but he explains it quite well. Quote, incentives are written into some contracts to pay a player for reaching certain performance criteria. Incentives come in two varieties, likely to be earned and not likely to be earned, each of which has different salary cap implications. Likely to be earned incentives are incentives based on performance levels that were reached in the prior season. LTBEs count against the salary cap in the year they are scheduled. For example, if a running back ran for 1,200 yards last year and he has an incentive that would pay him $100,000 if he runs for 1,000 yards this year, the incentive would be a likely-to-be-earned incentive and would count against the salary cap this year. On the other hand, if the running back ran for 1,000 yards last year and he has an incentive that will pay him $100,000 if he runs for 1,200 yards this year, the incentive would be not likely to be earned and would not count against this year's salary cap. If the player does not earn an LTBE incentive, then the amount of the incentive will be credited credited against the following year's salary cap, and the team would have $100,000 in additional cap space the following year. The opposite happens with NLTBE incentives. If those are earned, they are charged to the following year's salary cap. In our example, that would mean that the team would have $100,000 less in cap space the following year, end quote. So there's a lot there, but here's what it means for the Packers. I'm assuming this is a not likely to be earned incentive. I, I think as good of a salesman as Preston Smith's pro- agent probably is, I think it would be a tough sell to say that he is likely to hit 14 sacks in any year. Just doesn't happen all that often. In Packers history, it's only happened four times where a guy has had 14 or more sacks. So as great as that would be for Preston Smith to get to that figure, both from a performance standpoint and a uh, financial standpoint, it does not seem terribly likely. But that still is a win-win for the Packers and for Smith, because if he does get to that level, he gets a big check. And if he gets to that level, the Packers get 14 sacks from one of their edge rushers. That is a win-win. And you'll deal with that the following year if it means that you had a guy with 14 sacks this year. That's fine. The other really big news was that Aaron Jones re-signed with the Packers. Now, this is something I predicted would not happen. And I think reading the general running back market, it seems like he probably got a little less than he could. The official numbers paint the deal as somewhere in the four-year, $48 million range but you got to parse the heck out of this one. And I'm not really sure I've seen an, an adequate breakdown on what the contract actually is yet. So I don't really even want to comment on what the numbers are. But it seems like Aaron Jones is a little bit under market value and maybe a lot under market value for a running back who has performed the way he has the last couple of years. So I am of three different opinions about this. The first and smallest one is the the boring analytical one. From an analytical strategy, salary cap construction perspective, this is not a good idea. There's no way to spin it that says this is a good use of resources. As good a running back as Aaron Jones is, his value relative to other positions is just not there. 
If you spent the same amount of money on a free agent cornerback, chances are you'd be getting a much bigger payoff. But that's boring. Who cares? Like, we, we all understand that. I think we could belabor the point there, and it's boring to be, oh, they should never pay the running backs guy. Yes. Fine. Sure. And I've, I've, I've been that guy. I've made their, my case for why I would and would not pay Aaron Jones. We're past that now. He's been re-signed. Maybe it wasn't a good idea from that perspective. Sure. There's also the fan perspective here. From a fan perspective, I'm quite delighted. I'm excited to have Aaron Jones back in the fold. We talked about it on the last episode. He's one of the most exciting running backs in a very unique way that I've ever seen play for the Packers. For me, it's him, Eddie Lacy, and Amon Green. Those are my top three most fun guys to watch. Dorsey Levins was great, uh, but he wasn't entertaining in the same way those three guys are. Ryan Grant is great too, but again, not quite entertaining in the same same way those guys are for me. And that, that's just my list. If you've got a different list, that's great. So it's exciting. I mean, it's exciting to be on the, the side where you get to retain a guy who is a good player. This is ne- nothing to say that Aaron Jones isn't good. I, I think that is part of what gets lost in the running backs conversation. It's not that he's not a good player. It's that relative to other positions, the running backs don't don't matter that much. But there's a third thing here, and this is where I've really kind of been living, I guess, the last day or so of, as I've thought about this more and more. I'm not sure it was a good idea salary cap-wise. I'm excited as a fan, but as someone who, who follows the Packers and, and spends a lot of time talking about it and, and just watching the NFL in general, I'm left feeling a little bit curious here because if the numbers – based on, you know, incentives and stuff that may seem to be in this contract are true, the real value of Aaron Jones' contract is more in like the 8.5 to $9 million a year sort of range. And that's interesting for a couple reasons. First, is this a true example of a guy taking a hometown discount because he wants to finish his career where he started it? If so, that's really exciting um, because that's something you just don't see all that often. And it's cool that it happened for the Packers because they got a good good player at a at a below market price, whatever you you think the opinion or think the idea is as far as re-signing running backs or not. Uh, getting one for cheaper is betting better than getting one for, for more money. I think you can agree with that. Secondly, it makes me wonder if there is – going to be some sort of movement towards a middle class of running backs. So really, you end up with two kinds of running back contracts in the NFL. You've got guys on rookie deals who are making peanuts or relative peanuts to the rest of the league. And then you've got guys who get to their second contracts, uh, your Ezekiel Elliott's, your Alvin Kamara's, your Christian McCaffrey's, and they just cash in and they just kind of by definition end up being overpaid. Just for starters, Aaron Jones is below all of those contracts. He didn't reset the market at running back. But he's way above what you make for a typical runner, or for a, for a rookie runner, a rookie running back. So is there room in the NFL for a middle class of running back contracts? Guys that are not in that very tip-top, but guys that are still solid players and uh, are getting compensated. I think this is a trend 
well, it's not a trend yet, but it's it's something worth watching to see if it develops into a trend, and it's something that I'm very curious about. Real quick, another a, a couple other moves the Packers have made. These were unexpected, but both Billy Turner and Adrian Amos reworked their deals, giving the Packers a little bit more salary cap space. They those were not on my my bingo card. I was not anticipating those. We were we were looking more um, along the lines of some big game hunting. Uh, Aaron Rodgers redoing his contract, Zadarius Smith redoing his contract, Devontae Adams getting a contract extension, uh, all of which I think could still happen, although my prediction that uh, Devontae Adams would get his deal done before the start of the league year is looking pretty iffy. We're down into a little more than 24 hours as of this recording, so that that is not making me feel super optimistic there. Uh, but... Um, whatever they can do to save money, I think is, is a good thing. And, uh, it gives Turner and Amos a little bit more security as far as sticking around and this year and beyond. And, uh, it really looks like the Packers are just running it back from 2020. And that is an interesting development as well. A uh, couple other smaller moves. Uh, the Packers retained a couple exclusive rights, free agents in Alan Lazard and Ram- Randy Ramsey, both kind of foregone conclusions. Lazard in particular, there was no way they were going to let him go. So this was going to get done. Restricted free agents, though. Raven Green was not tendered. Tim Boyle was not tendered. Robert Tanyan was tendered. And Chandon Sullivan was tendered. Let's knock these out quick. So Raven Green got not getting tendered is a, I would say, medium surprise. Um, I'm surprised that they that he is currently, I guess, in effect, not on the Packers anymore. I would have thought they would try to get him back for camp and just, just see how things go. But if they're not confident in his injury situation and how he has stayed healthy over the past couple of years, I can hardly blame him blame them for moving on. Uh, Tim Boyle not being tendered is much less of a surprise than Raven Green. Um Sooner or later, you got to make Jordan Love the second quarterback, and I guess it is now. Um, and these guys not being tendered obviously doesn't preclude them from coming back with the Packers at some point, but they are just not going to be with the Packers right now. Robert Tunyon getting tendered is great. Uh, it um, kind of fulfills that, that prediction. Well, it doesn't kind of. It exactly fulfills the prediction we made a long time ago that he would get a second-round tender, and uh, it puts the position the Packers in position to match any deal that he would get offered uh, if they want to keep him around. And if they don't want to keep him around, they could let him go and get a second round pick for their troubles. And if neither of those things happen, they get him at a fairly reasonable price for 2020. Not too bad on all fronts there. Finally, Chandon Sullivan getting tendered. I mean, this is not an exciting move, but it, it takes one thing off the immediately screaming hot uh, giant red flag to-do list. If you let... Kevin King walk, which seems like a foregone conclusion. If you let Chandon Sullivan walk, suddenly you're at Jair Alexander and a bunch of warm bodies beyond that. Um, Chandon Sullivan may not be great. Uh, he's better than he was in the NFC Championship game. And uh, this is just one more spot that you don't have to turn over on the roster. A couple other notes. Corey Lindsley is gone. Good for him. Good grief. Signing a big-time deal, the highest-paid center in the NFL. And I mean it with all sincerity. Good for him. Get those big checks when you can. And uh, to to kind of cap off the last couple of days, we got news late this afternoon that Tremont Williams is finally calling it quits at uh, at age 38. And uh, one of the cool things and one of the depressing things about following the Packers for a long time 
is that there gets to be a longer and longer list of players whose entire career you have seen. And Tremont Williams is one of the guys on that list for me. I can pretty pretty vividly remember his entire career. Really came on the scene in 2007, though he was around a little bit prior to that. Uh, was there for the late Brett Favre era. Uh, was there with the Packers as they developed into a contender under Aaron Rodgers. Uh, won a Super Bowl, was a big part of that Super Bowl run. Signed a big free agency deal to leave. Uh, had a great kind of career resurgence in Arizona. Came back to Green Bay, left again, then came back again. Uh, just a, a fun story, fun guy, and at his best, uh, one of the best pure cover corners uh, we've seen probably in the 21st century in Green Bay. Really, really good at his peak. Let's change gears entirely and continue our game-by-game look at the 2020 season. So we have made it all the way to week four, and for each of these games, we are answering three questions. What happened? Uh, Did anything emerge from this particular game that ended up being a long-term storyline or concern? And then what did we forget about this game? So week four, the Packers welcomed the Atlanta Falcons to Lambeau Field. And what happened? Well, the Packers were supposed to handle the Falcons, who came in at 0-3. And the Packers did handle the Falcons, who left at 0-4. The game pretty much shook out exactly how we thought it was going to. Uh, The Falcons came in with a ton of injuries in the secondary And Aaron Rodgers was more than happy to take advantage of all of those injuries. No Devontae Adams for the Packers. No problem. Aaron Rodgers goes 27 for 33 passing, 327 yards, four touchdowns. They got a big explosive week from Robert Tunyon. It was a week after kind of a big collective effort from the tight ends. They got a big individual effort from Mr. Tunyon. Six catches, 98 yards, and a touchdown. Only 10 players in Packers history have had games with six catches for 95 yards and three touchdowns or more. Robert Tunyon is the only tight end. Final score, Packers 30, Atlanta Falcons 14. So did anything come out of this game that ended up being a long-term concern? More injuries, uh, first and foremost. Aaron Rodgers got banged around a little bit. Uh, Kevin King was hurt in this game. Uh, Chandon Sullivan got a concussion. Uh, And Josiah DeGuara, returning from injury, tore his ACL, blocking on a punt late in the game. His lone special team snap of the game as it worked out. So what did we forget about this game? Not a whole lot. Zadarius Smith had three sacks, and A.J. Dillon's weird usage continued. Only three snaps despite a blowout primetime game at home. Before we get to the next two games on our list today, I wanted to take a second and give a couple Patreon shout-outs today. Today we are shouting out Curtis Jacobs, Queso y Libertad, and Matthew Godden. All three of these fine individuals have been patrons since 2018. appreciate each and every one of you who is a Patreon supporter, and if you are not a supporter yet, I would encourage you to go to patreon.com slash thepowersweep and join us there for any amount of money that you choose. You have several options there, all of it goes towards the same cause. First and foremost, you help us keep this uh, ship afloat. It costs money to keep this operation going, and we appreciate you helping us out uh, with your efforts towards doing that. Second, you help us keep ad-free. I think ad-free is the way to be. 
uh, on both the podcast and on thepowersweep.com. And uh, you allow us to just tell anybody who might be interested in advertising with us that we are not interested. We are listener-supported, we are reader-supported, and we think that's the way to do it. Thirdly, you get access to bonus content. There's some going up this week. I know I said I would have something out later last week. That ended up not working out. Real life got in the way. Uh, but I do have a piece in the works uh, for your reading pleasure coming out either Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, I think you will enjoy it. You also get access to our private Discord server where you can hang out with other Packers fans and talk about whatever is on your mind. So patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Uh, I hope you will consider joining us there. So after defeating the Falcons, after sustaining a couple injuries, the Packers have their week five bye week, and they emerge from their bye week for a week six trip to Tampa to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And what happened in that game? Oh boy, what happened in that game? So let's start with something we forgot right away. Packers end up losing 38 to 10, but the Packers led 10 to nothing in this game. They went up 3-0 after their first drive. Buccaneers go three and out. Packers go up 10-0 after a long touchdown drive. After that, the Packers or the Buccaneers had a 30-yard drive and stalled out and punted from inside their own territory. And the Packers take over on their own 22. And what happened from there? Well, it went a little something like this. Incomplete pass, incomplete pass, pick six. Packers lead 10-7. Packers get the ball back. Incomplete pass, run for no gain. Interception. Return to the Packers' two-yard line. Touchdown run on the very next play. It's 14-10, Buccaneers. Boy, that turned around quickly. Next drive for the Packers, though. Let's right the ship, though. Three and out for the Packers. Okay, not so great. Well, at least we'll let's stop the Buccaneers on their next drive. Well, nope. 65-yard touchdown drive helped out by a personal foul on Rashawn Gary. 21-10, Buccaneers. Another three and out for the Packers, and it's a 62-yard drive for a touchdown for the Buccaneers to end the first half. It is 28-10, and then it is finally, mercifully, halftime. The Buccaneers go on to win 38-10. to So did anything come out of this game that ended up being a long-term concern? Well, first and foremost, David Bakhtiari was injured in this game, and this game was the only time the Packers tried to counter an injury to David Bakhtiari by flipping Rick Wagner over to the left side, and it did not go particularly well. Not so much... Rick Wagner himself, he graded out fairly well in this game, but the switch really seems to have messed with Billy Turner, who struggled. If there is a silver lining here, at least they got this question answered about what they do in in the event that David Bakhtiari was injured, answered early in the season. And as a result, they could call up Jared Veld here and make sure they had absolutely no doubts about their offensive tackle situation and they wouldn't be left scrambling thanks to a late-season positive COVID test after their starting left tackle tears his ACL. Oh, wait, no, that's not what happened. They made no moves on the offensive line after David Bakhtiari was injured and ended up shorthanded at tackle again late in the season. Imagine that. What did we forget about this game, though? Sure, the final score was really bad. Why was it so bad? Well, I think this is another entry in the Aaron Rodgers is bad when he holds the ball too long pantheon. According to Pro Football Reference, Aaron Rodgers held the ball on average for 2.95 seconds before throwing, the fourth longest total of the season. Now, there's a variety of reasons he might do that. Um, Guy's not getting open, just trying to make a play. 
But to do that against a good defense like the Buccaneers is not a great idea. First, it's it's never really worked out for Aaron Rodgers on a regular down-to-down basis where he tries to make plays all by himself. Sure, there is the run-the-table run in 2016, but it's not a great way to get the ball down the field against an elite defense by just holding it and holding it and holding it and trying to make something happen. It just generally does not work out. Secondly, it's a really bad idea to do it in a game where your entire offensive line is in disarray. But that didn't stop Aaron Rodgers, and uh, it didn't help the, the Packers all that much either. Secondly, if you are of the opinion that the Packers should have drafted a receiver last spring, this is pretty much your peak example. Now, the Packers did get Devontae Adams back for this game, but Alan Lazard was still out with his core muscle injury. And that left the Packers going with Malik Taylor, Equinemius, and Dar- Equinemius St. Brown, and Darius Shepard as their third receiver. Two very terrible results. Those three played a combined 49 snaps, and together they managed one catch for 16 yards on four targets. Not great. Could have used a little receiver depth there, no doubt. Rashawn Gary got a penalty, but he was also semi-hurt in this game, only played 17 snaps. Also of note in this game, the Packers made zero, zero plays on the ball on defense. We track ball hawks as part of the stats that we track for the powersweep.com. That a ball hawk is a sack of forced fumble, a pass defense, or an interception. Across all four of those categories, the Packers recorded zero plays on the ball. No sacks, no fumbles forced, no passes defensed, no interceptions. That is a pretty good recipe for losing a game, even without two interceptions deep in your own territory, one of which is returned for a touchdown. If you're not going to make plays against Tom Brady, he's going to beat you. And even if you do make uh, plays against Tom Brady, sometimes his elite defense will beat you as well. But I'm sure that will never come back to bite the Packers. Finally, let's finish out with the Houston Texans. The Packers traveled to Houston in Week 7, for basically what amounts to a classic sort of get-well game. What happened in this game? The Packers are literally licking their wounds from a beatdown, or figuratively licking their wounds from a beatdown, and then licking their actual wounds, trying to get used to post-David Bakhtiari life for the first time in 2020. And if you just look back at the score sheet for this game, if you look back at any amount of stats, this looks like a we're just going to try to get through this sort of game. Just doing what we can to get the game over with, get a win, and get healthy. Here's how the Packers' drives worked out in this game. They went touchdown. They went three and out and a punt. Long touchdown drive, four plays and a punt. Touchdown, touchdown, punt, block, punt, punt, touchdown, end of the game. Long, sustained, excellent drives and three and outs including three three three-and-outs in a row in the second half. When things did go well, it was basically because of Devontae Adams. He became the ninth player in Packers history to have 190 or more receiving yards in a game, just the eighth since 1950. Don Hudson did it in 1942 as well, but Devontae Adams uh, barbecued the Houston Texans for more than 190 yards in this game. As far as long-term storylines, there's not a lot from this game. I think it was a pretty forgettable game. The Really, the biggest story 
was that Billy Turner and Rick Wagner were fairly solid as the starting tackles. That may have given the Packers some real confidence in that duo long term. Maybe that was a good idea. Maybe that was misplaced. I don't know. I still am not sure what I think about that move. Um, By and large, I guess it seems to have worked out. And then when the Packers faced a pair of elite pass rushers, it came crashing down in spectacular fashion. What about what we forgot about the Packers' beatdown of the Houston Texans? Remember that thing about uh, Aaron Rodgers holding onto the ball against the Buccaneers? He did the exact opposite against the Texans. That was in large part because his offensive line was in shambles. Got it out quick. Threw it in average uh, in 2.33 seconds on average, second lowest total of the season. Kamal Martin made his real debut for the Packers in this one, at least gave the Packers an option at inside linebacker, six tackles, one tackle for loss. And then Henry Black, a uh, a rookie free agent, um, had a forced fumble to end the game. And according to Pro Football Reference, he was only the third Packers player since 1999 to force a fumble in his very first game for the Packers. Jamal Reynolds and Mike Neal were the other two. Just a couple names uh, for you to reflect on and say, oh yeah, I remember that guy. So the Packers come out of weeks four, six, and seven with a bye week sandwiched in there between four and six at five and one. Playing well, but there are some warts on this team. And on the horizon, the Minnesota Vikings, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. A couple teams they should beat and one that they should be able to handle. What will happen in the wind and cold at Lambeau Field, though, as the Packers turn to November football? We will talk about that next time on Blue 58. For right now, that's all I've got for you. I do appreciate you listening in. I'd appreciate it even more if you would share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it as well. That's how we continue to grow the show. That's how we continue this conversation around the Green Bay Packers. And that ultimately is how we're going to help more and more people become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.